Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. those of you who uh, maybe we haven't met because I haven't been here in a while. My name is Amy Gallagher and I used to be uh, one of the pastors here, the community life pastor. And uh, my husband's name is Tyler Gallagher um, or he likes to be called Dr. Bo Tyler. He wears bow ties at work so they call him Dr. Bo Tyler. He's a veterinarian um, and then we have a very energetic uh, loves life and anyone he comes into contact with little boy named JT, which is short for Joshua Thomas. And I wish I could have brought them here today, um, but they needed to stay home and instead I brought my mother who uh, made the journey with me. Um, we live in Kernersville, North Carolina now. A couple years ago my husband got a good job offer and we needed to move. Um, and I like how Michael just said in his uh, little talk, a time of transition. Because that's what's happening here, and today is another time of transition for one of Mosaic's beloved families, the Abbots. And I asked Caitlin if I could do this beforehand, <laughs> so you can blame her. Um, I was here for several years, and uh, I remember when Chris didn't want to get up and play the guitar in front of everybody. He would play at home for his family, for his kids and his wife, or in little get-togethers, but there was a fear of getting up in front of everybody and playing with the worship team. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed for someone that could come and be here, and Chris stepped up to play with the worship band. Um, and it was also during that time that Danielle decided uh, that she would become an elder. We asked her and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed that Danielle would accept the call to be an elder. And she did. And um, as a part of that, she also had to overcome a huge fear to get up in front of this loved community and speak to you, I think for a giving time. And we prayed together and she did it. She overcame her fear. So when I think about the Abbots, I think about getting pushed out of your comfort zone. And that as a part of the Christian community, being outside of our comfort zone is where we experience God the most. So even though today may be sad, the days after this, as part of your Christian community, we choose happiness and grace for you where you go. Because that's what being the body of Christ means. Will you please pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for this day, for the opportunity to gather and worship. It is with grace and hope that we come into your presence. It's with humble hearts that we pray for your guidance as we continue to worship and learn what you would have us to hear. May our hearts and minds be open to accepting your teaching and impression. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So today we're going to uh, spend our morning in Luke 10, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It's going to be a familiar story to many of you. Now 
as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. So most of us have heard this story before. We were taught in Sunday school the lesson about busy Martha. Martha was busy, and Mary was contemplative, and Jesus praised Mary. For as long as I remember, I always thought of it as Mary versus Martha. And that the point was to learn to be more like Mary. When I first started researching this passage, one thing that surprised me, sort of, uh, was how people long ago were interpreting this passage. They were doing it in defense of women's roles in society or in the church. So people would use this passage to say that it indicates and emphasizes that a woman's role is to be in the kitchen or at the feet of a man, but most definitely not leading and teaching in church. Thankfully, many have come since then and with a posture of prayer and humility approached this scripture to find that this story is so much more than social roles. Instead, it's about the spiritual discernment of knowing when to do and when to listen. So our story today takes us to the small village of Bethany on the way to Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples have been on an intense journey of traveling, teaching, and guiding. And it's been in conflict with some of the socially and traditionally acceptable rules of that time. Many people have either accepted or condemned Jesus. But the closer he gets to Jerusalem on his journey, the louder the gossip gets. Because, as we know, it's in Jerusalem where his story climaxes. Where this particular story picks up, at this point in time, it would be dangerous for someone to open their home or their table to Jesus and those who followed him. Keeping that in mind, let's look at the first part. We're going to break this story down into three parts. Now, as they went on their way... He entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. So this story reminds me of a story from the days when my family lived in Hungary. So if you don't know my story, I grew up as the daughter of missionaries who uh, worked in Eastern Europe in the country of Hungary in different villages. They worked for the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, otherwise known as CBF. But they worked with the gypsies, otherwise known as Roma. These were socially, economically, educationally, structurally outcast people in Hungary. These people that my family worked to help and share the love of God with were hated, discriminated against, forced to live on the outskirts of town, 
forced to quit school at an early age, and most living with no electricity and little running water in their homes. So part of what my parents did for their work was they would go to these gypsy villages with other local church leaders and they would go to a house because they didn't have money to build church buildings in these villages. So church took place in houses. So in a house church gathering like this, they would typically have prayer, singing, and a message and scripture reading as their worship. And this was how we helped share the love of God with them. So there was one particular day when our American car rolled into the dirt streets of a village lined with small houses with little to no electricity and running water. And when a car comes through the most, when the car comes through the village, most of the villagers come out from their gates to see who's here. Most of the time, the cars didn't stop in this area of town because it's where the gypsies lived. But this time, someone wasn't just passing through. They were stopping and visiting. Quickly ushered into a nearby village home, the Americans, my parents, and other leaders were asked to sit down. Everyone was invited in. Now, you have to imagine these houses as two rooms. Typically, you would have a kitchen that they would have some sort of uh, source for fire where they would cook, and that also heated their home. And the second bedroom acted as the bedroom slash living room, where when you were invited in, you typically sat on the bed that functioned as a couch where you would have people. And that was it. Bathrooms were outside in uh, porta-potties, that's what I'm looking for but they weren't nice like porta potties. Um, so the woman who played hostess on this occasion was a young woman who had just had a baby. And this was a special baby dedication in her home for her own child. And she was so excited to have the Americans. She was excited to have the local church leaders. The whole village was there. Um, they started praying and singing, and it was a truly joyous and worshipful occasion. The hostess began immediately with pouring water into four glasses, adding a bit of sweetened juice to flavor each cup. She set them on a tray and passed them out to the first four people that she came to. Those who sat and stood all listened and sang and prayed, earnestly seeking to hear what God would have them know. She only had four glasses. When they finished their drink, she collected the glasses, took them to the sink, washed them, filled them back up with water and juice, and passed them out to the next four people who would be her guests. She opened her home and what little she had to a village of people and the Christian leaders coming through. She had no certain way of knowing if or when anyone would be coming, but when the time came, she didn't hesitate to welcome and offer hospitality, to allow everyone some comfort in listening to the word of God. Martha had no idea Jesus was coming, but when he arrived in her village, she welcomed him in and began the work of a hostess for him and his followers. I imagine that when Martha began the work of preparing a meal and cleaning areas of rest for the weary travelers, that her heart was following the call of Jesus. Jesus, up until this point in his life's work, has taught us the importance of service. In fact, 
just before this story in the book of Luke, Jesus teaches a lawyer about what service to others is in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Gospel of Luke in general is full of moments where Jesus teaches the value and discipleship of serving others, just as Martha has started out doing. But in verse 40, things kind of take a turn. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. So this is what I like to call the cringe moment. Uh, when I kind of read this, it makes me hold my breath. Um, as, a, as an adult, I've had to work really hard uh, on how to deal with conflict personally in my family at work. Um, so when I see it coming, it makes me cringe. Where the unexpected reaction or outburst to a situation and confrontation and we're all left wondering, what's Jesus going to do? The man wasn't exactly predictable in what lesson he was going to pull out next, was he? But here's what I think we're meant to see in this moment. And it's the anxiety. There's an underlying layer of anxiety that's blanketed the situation that's led to Martha's outburst. And we can completely sympathize with it. Who of us hasn't felt the nag, the pull, the burden of anxiety? Who of us hasn't been in Martha's shoes running around with an endless to-do list on a time crunch, under expectations, and feeling like there is no help? We can quickly and easily feel like Martha, and we are alone in a state of worry and anxiety. This type of anxiety causes some issues for us, just as it did for Martha. First, did you notice that Martha's language has become all about her? Look at what she says again. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. Martha's language is centered around herself because of the anxiety that she bears. Notice that Martha addresses Jesus as her Lord. So she knows who Jesus is and what he stands for as the Son of God. And yet at this moment, she's more focused on trying to get his help with her plan instead of his plan. Anxiety and worry can cause us to get caught up in ourselves, in our plans, in our needs and wants, rather than focusing on God's plans and God's kingdom. The second thing I think uh, we're called to see in this situation is triangulation. Who loves that word? If you've ever done some kind of conflict seminar in work or anywhere, you know what triangulation is. But it's a, it's a conflict symbol of when you're upset with someone. I have a conflict with Alan Pope, but instead of going to Alan Pope about it, I'm going to go talk to Danielle over here. And now we've created a little triangle, and I haven't solved anything with Alan. I've just made it worse by including Danielle into it. Martha has worked herself into such a state over how to best serve Jesus and has gotten stewingly mad at her sister 
Can't you just see her banging pots and pans, running in and out for water and spices, passive aggressively trying to get the attention of her sister? That's what I would do. Martha gets to the end of her rope, that point where the anxiety is so overwhelming that she triangulates Jesus in order to speak to and motivate Mary. Instead of going directly to Mary and asking for help or explaining her frustration, she went around her to Jesus, demanding that he help her. Anxiety and worry can cause us to make decisions that we normally would not. When we lose focus on the object of our service, which is Christ, we lose our purpose. Martha is most definitely called into service when Jesus steps into her home and when she voiced the invitation to him, but she lost sight of the one who has called her to serve in this moment. In this final part of the story, it says, And so the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. So you see, I always thought that this story was about the busy person versus the contemplative person. That those who serve somehow don't see Jesus or take the time to listen. It's only been recently that I've discovered it's not those who are servers versus those who are learners in life. Maybe instead, it's two parts of the same person. Each of us is called to service and to learning and listening. For learning without action is just words. And words, action without purpose, is empty. Six years ago today, at the end of my seminary training and learning, I decided to take an intensive course at the hospital in chaplaincy. I applied and got accepted to Wake Med in Raleigh, uh, where I shortly began a full-time summer course. This was every single day in the hospital. It was a level one trauma center, and chaplains were an integral part of the team. We cared for patients, family, and staff members spiritually and emotionally, which you can imagine includes a wide variety of things, taking care of people in those ways. There was never really any knowing what we could be called upon to do or what kind of situation we would be asked to be a part of. I could be routinely visiting a sick patient or helping a family through a crisis after finding out their loved one had been injured in a car accident. At the beginning of this intensive course, I was assigned the pediatric unit at Wake Med. 34 rooms of sick or injured children, their families, over 100 staff who worked in the unit, and I was one person. I was overwhelmed. I remember walking up to the unit one of the first days, racking my brain for what I should do, who I should see, what I should say, because I, I wanted to be perfect. I remember hearing someone say, you either sink or swim as you figure out how to do this. Well, I felt like I was sinking under the pressure to be perfect and present for everyone with the right words. 
I got to the unit and the pressure, the fear, the anxiety was welling up inside me. I walked through the hallway trying to be invisible and trying to pull myself together. I walked by a room with the door open and the lights off, but something caught my eye. It was a little baby laying in a crib. I knocked on the door and asked if I could come in, looked around for a parent, but no one was there. I walked up to the bed and looked onto this beautiful baby girl, just a few weeks old. She was swaddled into the hospital baby blankets and she was beginning to stir. She quickly began to cry as she freed her arm from the security of the blanket. The nurse who came in shared the baby's story with me. This baby was born very premature and very sick. The mother, young, confused, and not ready for motherhood, hadn't visited in weeks. The baby fell back asleep and I began my visits room to room, meeting parents and patients, trying to figure out what I should do, what I could do for them. I became so worried and anxious about how I could help these families and the staff on my unit that I lost track of why I was there in the first place. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. As I walked the hallway of the hospital, I was walking and talking, but I, I wasn't listening. I went back to my unit and found the baby girl's room I just told you about a few minutes ago. The nurse helped me arrange her IVs, her medications, and her pump so that I could sit in a rocking chair with her and I hold her. Now, could she talk to me? No. But I listened anyway. God, what do you want me to see here? What, what do you want me to do? In that gentle way that God speaks to our hearts, I heard God say, You're already doing it. This baby missed her mama. Her normal was gone. So I found a way to serve her through providing her with a new normal. I rocked her every day that I was there and sang about the God who loves, listens, and serves us. Realizing that we are called to listen and do, but each in their own time, has been a lifelong learning for me. Jesus is not enforcing one way of life over another, but instead the spiritual discernment to know when to listen and when to act. For we know that Jesus calls us to be active in doing justice, walking humbly, and loving mercy. This is not an either-or message, but a both-and. When Jesus praises Mary's having chosen the better part, he refers to her singular focus on Jesus himself. There should be only one object of devotion. If there is only one more important part of the story I want uh, you to hear, it's this. How Jesus addresses Martha. 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 He says. He calls her by name. And not out of anger or shock, but rather out of knowing her heart. He's been sitting with his disciples and Mary all this time in the other room, knowing her heart and soul. Knowing what's going on in Martha's head. So when he addresses her, it's as his friend and it's by her name. 
on the days when we lose sight of the one who has called us to serve and to listen, on the days when we can't help but feel our own pain is worse than anyone else's, on days when anxiety and the endless to-do list takes over our lives, our God calls us by name to come back to him. God calls us by name to the blessings that await us in faithfulness. God calls us by name from our wandering just so he can be in relationship with us. Familiar words from the hymn we just sang a few minutes ago have new meaning in light of this story. A God who calls you by name, who knows that our hearts will wander, who knows that our minds and souls will become distracted, worried, and anxious, will lead you back. God will always be there to welcome us back when we stray, every single time. We serve a God who shows up every time despite knowing that we will often choose our own anxieties and distractions over Him. Because Jesus sought you and me when we were strangers. Wandering from the fold of God, He to rescue us from danger, interposed his precious blood. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It's easy to let anxiety lead us into decision-making. As you discern and search for what comes next for Mosaic, the easy way is through the anxiety where it's common to lose sight of Jesus and his calling to listen and serve. I pray that you stay strong, that love is at the heart of your actions, that hope is at the heart of your learning, and that Christ reigns over it all. May you never lose sight of the one who calls you by name and knows your heart. Amen.